Welcome back to this week's edition of Terry's Talk and David Campbell, your host, and as always, Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, how's it going? You're out of camp today. Yes, I was, although really I didn't see much. I kind of got there towards the end. But. I guess it really isn't camp anymore because the fans aren't allowed. We're kind of going into no, pre, pre-regular right. season so, mode. You know, that's, the Browns are keeping everything a secret about who's going to play. Well, we know one person who's going to play. It's going to leak out for that third preseason game. Yeah. So, all right. So, let's get into the uh, what we a lot happened on the on the Browns beat since we talked last week, Terry. Things are kind of settling in a little bit down in Carolina. Baker Mayfield has been named the starting quarterback. Sorry. That's okay. He'll be playing against the Browns on September 11th in the opener. Deshaun Watson is out for 11 games, and Jacoby Brissett is going to be the starter, and he seems like he's settled in. He's ready to go. And uh, what do you think of kind of all this quarterback settlement stuff that we've seen last week, Terry? Yeah, it's been a remarkable, lot. David, if you just look back, pretend it's the end of August of 2021, and the discussion was, are the Browns good enough to go to the Super Bowl or not? And should they have given – Baker Mayfield lived for your extension at about 30 or $40 million a year. That was what was being talked about with the team. Uh, you know, you go back, you said a year later, Baker's in Carolina. Deshaun Watson's here. Jacoby Brissett is starting. It's just, it's unimaginable. And I, granted, in sports, things move quickly and surprise, but that's, you know, one of the biggest and then you turn around and Josh Dobbs is, you know, making a lot of uh, people pay attention as a backup. So there you go. All right, David, let me ask you, how do you think Baker's going to play? Well, I mean, we know Baker, we've seen him and a lot of what he does is high risk, high reward. I think he's, he's always prided himself on being a gunslinger. And I think he's going to, I think he'll make some plays against the Browns. And I think the Browns are going to pick him off a couple times. I, that's mm-hmm. how, that's how I see it going down. What about you? Well, I was thinking more just general for terms of his career. Yeah. I don't know what's going to go on in that game because he will be so emotional. Uh, and my guess is too, that the coaching staff in Carolina will probably try to keep him in a box early on so that he doesn't throw two picks in the first half and just change the game that way. Uh, but I, I think overall that he could have a pretty good season down there. Not great, but pretty good if he stays healthy. Uh, 2018 and 2020 uh, uh, were good years. I mean, they really were. And I don't care what standard you use. You know, 19 was terrible and 21 was terrible. If you go on the every other year, he's due to play well. But, um, you know, you could say there's some extended winning circumstances because in 21 he shouldn't have played a all those games because he was hurt and in 19 everything was a disaster so well one thing i know he's going to have to make a lot more plays for that offense than he did Mm -hmm. up here i mean the offensive line in carolina doesn't match what the browns have the running backs don't match what the browns have Uh, christian mccaffrey's awesome but he's been hurt the last two years hasn't played a lot of games and and who knows how many he'll play this year given um the way things have gone and then, you know, the wide receiving core is what it, it, probably comparable. But, I mean, he's going to have to make some plays, whereas up here I think a quarterback has a little bit more leeway in terms of the leaning on the running game, not having to throw into tight, tight as windows. Um, so, anyway, we'll see. It's an interesting thing to think about, though. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go back, especially you said in 2018, when he was a rookie, um, that was not a great offensive line or a tremendous cast around him. Um and he made plays. So it's like he's sort, it's sort of like it's in there. That's why you would probably evaluate if you're Carolina when they sat there and they're looking at, do you want to go for him or not? Then you look at Sam Darnold. We had him here. The Jets had him. It's not in there. You know, you say there's, it's not that there's much to really draw out. Where at least with Baker, there's a maybe. And I guess that, which brings, okay, the Browns with Jacoby Brissett. There's a maybe. The Brissett that, for example, was seven and eight a couple of years ago for the Colts as a starter, and the Brissett that consistently throws twice as many touchdown passes as he does interceptions, uh, and then it matches to the talent level that you have here, and the Brissett that is clearly respected by the coaches, whether it was Bill Belichick who had him first or uh, whether, regardless of where he has played, 
Miami, Indianapolis. Remember, Sariano, Nick Sariano, I just was you, – you would think he, he made a Pro Bowl for Nick, the way he was talking about him. And, of course, then uh, how the, the Browns did jump at a chance to get him. They had that deal done with him even before uh, – verbally, even though it wasn't announced – before it was finalized with Watson because they were so enamored with him and they just considered him a younger, better version of uh, Case Case Keenan. So, Terry, there's a game Saturday night, the final preseason game down at the stadium against the Bears. Dan Lobby, our colleague, um, and we should have mentioned this. We should mention this more on the podcast, Terry. Anybody who's a Browns fan and wants to sign up to subscribe to Cleveland.com, yeah. it's so worth.com. There's a blue banner at the top of the page. And if you subscribe, you get uh, you get signed up for the texting service that our Browns reporters have where they'll text you what's going on and their thoughts on the team. And also a daily newsletter that comes out every day. And there's something exclusive in there. And in today's newsletter, our colleague Dan Lobby, he weighed in on three people that he thought should play Saturday. And I wanted to get your thoughts on these three players. So Jacoby Brissett, should he play Saturday? Absolutely. And if so, how much? Absolutely. Absolutely. How much would you play him? I'd play him a half. I really would. I mean, look, or maybe more. I mean, just he, depending upon how many possessions they get. And uh, I mean, this is not what you're hiding Tom Brady. I mean, get him in there. He's got to play. Uh, there still is something about getting into action where, they, where they're allowed to tackle you, where in practice they're not. And I believe now that a lot went wrong for Deshaun Watson that was beyond his control when he played in that first game where um, – there were two holding penalties. There was a fumble. There were some drops. But you also could see he was a little skittish, you know, where they were after him. And he overthrew some balls because he was, whereas he looks very poised. I've watched him in practice a couple of times, especially recently. Very poised, very there, because they're not hitting him. Yeah, they roll around. Oh, he was sacked, and they point back there. But they're just not hitting him. And. I, I think that it's important before you get out for the regular season to be in a game where they're hitting you. Yeah, and we, and we saw this last week, Terry. The, the whole preseason game thing has kind of been turned on its head. The Browns yeah. had two practices against the Eagles last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul D. Podesta was on the broadcast of, this, of the preseason game against the Eagles on Sunday. And a phrase he said really caught my attention. He said, we were able to get two days of work in against the Eagles in a safe, in a safe snaps or something he called it, where yeah. everything's full speed except Jacoby Brissett isn't getting drilled in the back or mm-hmm. having his hand hit as he throws. And they, from what D. Podesta was saying, they thought there was more value in that than having him play in a preseason game where it's live. You can get a shot in the small of your back, get hurt, your ribs. Who knows what'll happen? You can get the benefits of two days of practice and then sit him for the preseason game. I thought that was it's kind of a novel thing we're just seeing this year and it could be the wave of the future. I think. I, oh, I think it definitely is. They've been going more and more towards, we don't want anybody to play in the preseason anyway, but I still think, especially for a guy like Brissett, I think he started five games last year. I'm just thinking he needs to play and you just tell him what you don't need to get sacked or whatever, but just get rid of the ball. But also you see him coming. It's like, you better react because they are going to tackle you this time. Uh, and, you know, then what happens, like Nick Harris got hurt. Remember that? To start the game. Now, it was the second play of the game. And I'm not even sure he got hurt being hit. It's like he sort of buckled and uh, that kind of stuff. I is it, Granted, it's a different, different sports, basketball and baseball. But in baseball, that last week or so, they play their regular squad a bit, five to six innings. They want the pitcher to go four or five innings. Um, and they could get hit by, hurt or hit by a line drive. In basketball, they will play their starters a half, you know, in some of those preseason games. So, um, but that's, you know, that, that's the way they are with football. The other right. thing I thought was interesting at is how De Podesta was very, very upbeat on Joshua Dobbs in that extreme. He fits our scheme. He's the kind of guy we, we like. All I mean, a lot of what I would say, uh, unsolicited praise for him for whatever reason. And he's earning it. So, all right, yeah. I got us off the rails a little there, Terry. I'm going to go back to Dan's list here. Uh, you okay. mentioned Nick Harris going down with the injury, and Dan's contention is that Ethan Posich should be playing a, a, at least a half. 
I guess, on on Saturday night against the Bears. And and Dan's logic is new center with a with a quarterback he hasn't played a ton with. They should get sure. used to each other and snaps and everything. Uh, how Absolutely. much would you play? Yeah, you'd play him a half too. Oh yeah, play them right. together. All right. And then Amari Cooper was Dan's third person he wants to see Saturday night. How how much should Amari Cooper play? Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I really, I just think he, I watched him twice last week. He's so good. Uh, I That's a different situation. It's not like a quarterback. There's not a ton of timing. You can play him, not play him. But those other two uh, do need to. Now, all the other receivers uh, should be on the field quite a bit and, and see how they play. Uh, I also would like to see uh, maybe a little bit of Kareem Hunt because he hasn't done a lot. I'm not sure I'd put Chubb out there. I just – Running backs, you kind of want to keep them, especially Chubb, who has had some injuries. Uh, I, I think I would just hold him out. But I think it wouldn't hurt to have Hunt out there. All right. Anybody else you'd like to see some extended run from? That's that's a pretty good list. Well, I wouldn't let Joe Clowney because I'm always afraid he's going to get hurt. And probably Miles there. They've got. I'd like to see all the defensive tackles play some, the whole rotation of four or five because they – even some of the stuff with the Eagles, Dan, to me, it seemed like in the game, the Eagles got some some uh, yardage up the middle running. Now, that was against primarily backups. But I also saw it in the practices that the Eagles were getting some good yardage up the middle. And I do worry because the defensive tackles and Coach Riz, who does the, the tape breakdown for us, has pointed out that these are one-gap guys. In other words, these are not space eaters. They're the type of defensive tackles that are actually probably better at uh, penetrating and trying to get to the quarterback than just blocking up the middle of the field. Yeah, I was actually talking to uh, Coach Lance Reisland, for those of you who don't know, uh, he coached at Garfield Heights for many years. His father was a legendary coach there, and Lance does film breakdowns. And I was just talking to him. He he said that it's the top area of concern that he has in mm-hmm. terms of the, the entire Browns he's, team. And he's going he's gonna to get into some film uh, here in the next week or two, breaking down like – what it means if those defensive tackles can't do more than just shoot gaps, if they can't stand blockers up and plug the holes and what and that's going to do have to a the big, second and third uh, levels. Yeah. You know, whether the middle linebacker is Jason Phillips or uh, Anthony Walker, they're not guys that you just think about clogging the middle either. The, the middle linebackers, they would use, of course, you're going to see a lot of two linebackers and five, sa- five defensive backs or three safeties. So, uh, I think that's a that's a concern too. Now, they have told me they think that um, Phillips can do some of that stuff, you know, defending against the run. But they like their linebackers to be quick and be able to run side to side. It's not just to chase Lamar Jackson, but there are a lot of uh, mobile quarterbacks and and just the way the game is so quick that they went with quickest quickness at linebacker. Some of those guys are they always say like JOK is more like a safety playing linebacker. So. That's where the game is, but there will be – I'm going to tell you one thing. If I'm playing the Browns, I'm going to test that middle in the running game. I'm going right at them. Let's see what they do. All right, Terry. Uh, one other thing we wanted to get into, and we were talking about this before we started taping, but uh, Joel Batonio was out of practice today, and after the Jacksonville game, he was asked about the booing uh, when Deshaun Watson was playing that they heard from some of the crowd in Jacksonville, and he, he basically said it's Cleveland against the world. Uh, some people took that the wrong way, kind of meaning that that he was maybe tri- trivializing why mm-hmm. fans would boo. And so he came out today um, and he, he said, yeah, I noticed it of, of the blowback. And he says, and what I said was, we're going to go to stadiums and we're going to get booed by people no matter who's playing quarterback for us. And as a team, we come out and say Cleveland against the world. If people want to take that in the wrong context or talk about it in the wrong context, that's their opinion, but I know we have good people on this team that are working hard and trying to be the best for the Cleveland Browns, and that's where I am at as a player who has been here for nine years. And if someone wants to think that I don't love and appreciate things in my life, that's their opinion. But I know where I'm at, and I know where I'm at with Cleveland and the people on this team. So do you think you needed to kind of come out and say this today, or was it yeah, just probably, kind of a preemptive thing by him? To, yeah, I'm sorry, yes, I think it was probably a good idea, David. Um, what he didn't say – the reality is Watson's going to be the quarterback. They're going to get booed. Furthermore, 
I don't get to pick my teammates, whether I, and you know, I've got to work with these people in the same way on the job situation we do, there may be some folks that we're working with that we know have, uh, they're just not great people. They have drug problem, whatever it is, you still have to work with them. And that's, that's how it is. Only nobody interviews us about that. And so that's how I, I took the, what he really wanted to say. And, um, Football people, they like to do – that is one of the things football teams say, well, it's us against the world today when we're playing in Baltimore, or it's us against the world when we're playing in Pittsburgh. You know, that, that's kind of how it goes. You know, when St. Ignatius is playing on the road against St. Ed's, it's us against the world. So that is not exactly a, a new phrase. Uh, I, I didn't read much into it because I sort of knew what he, what he meant. But I thought, well, you're going to catch something, Joel, on that. Cause some, that see, that's the thing about the Deshaun Watson. This is so different. And, and, and it, it, it really does lead to almost volcanic reactions from a little bit, one match, a little, little spark, and up it goes. So they'll have to keep dealing with this all year. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see if it does go all year or if it kind of fades over time because you're right, this is important to a lot of people and the Browns are going to be dealing with it for a while. And I think Well, you know, he won't play the first 11 games, so it won't be that big a deal, but starting – I, I still think the NFL is just shameless. I mean, what if you won 11 games so you could play in, in Houston, really? You might as well want 10. You might as well want 13. So just a coincidence, Terry. Just a yeah, coincidence. They always are. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, before we move on from the Browns, I kind of saw this, and I wanted to get your thoughts about it. So uh, the Lions earlier this week, Dan Campbell said, you know what? The coaches are not running practice today. We're going to let the players run it. And it's funny. I started thinking about some of the old school coaches that I played for growing yeah. up. And I thought about you at Benedictine. I mean, you were there when Augie Basu, the legendary Benedictine coach, was mm-hmm. there. And I was thinking, boy, those guys would never have put up with a player-run practice. But it seems like it went over really well. And I, I just was kind of interested by the whole concept. What do you think of player-run practices? Do you think the Browns right, should try it? Or, or what do you think? I was at a practice towards the end of the last year of Dennis Gates, Cleveland State. And he had, a, not the whole practice, but at different periods, he had his seniors kind of leading drills and running them and with the ability to stop and coach a little bit. And he kind of watched it. So I think that's there. Now, I will say this, like Coach Basu came up to me and um, he said they had a, we had a really good athlete and I cannot remember the kid's name. Um, who's a younger player, and he says, I need you to teach him to play second base. And so I did, you know, because I, I felt like saying, I wish I could, this kid could teach me to hit. <laughs> Things would be a lot easier for me. But um, he did that. And then we also had a, a really good pitcher. His name is Gary Pillar, and he's been at Case Western Reserve in the athletic department and for years and years. And I remember Gary was assigned to teach pitchers breaking balls. Because that's one. This is very interesting about Coach Basu. He was a football guy. Played football at Notre Dame. Baseball was really not his sport. That was the second thing. And so, he, you know, he was humble enough to know what he didn't know. And those of us, some of us, have played a lot of baseball. He would now. He's running all whole practices. You're not getting what you just mentioned with Dan Campbell. But it's funny that you mentioned that, and that came back to me. So, who would run the Browns practice? Joel Batonio. Well, all right. Would be okay, one yeah, <laughs> could do the line. Um, and then if you were to do the uh, the receivers, Cooper, you would want Cooper to teach everybody. His route running is excellent. Uh, running backs, um, Nick Chubb keeps Kareem Hunt in line, all that. Quarterback, well, um, I mean, Deshaun's the guy. Jacoby's smart. Uh, Dobbs has got a degree in space aeronautics and intern at NASA, so he's a rocket scientist. So you got guys there. <laughs> yeah. Um, defensive backs. Who's got the best technique back there? Probably Denzel Ward. Yeah. Yeah, and that'd be good to get him to talk because he's very quiet. They force him to talk. Linebacker probably Anthony Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would you would probably break it down by positions. Uh, I think that would work. I think it's, it's very hard to get a. a a player to kind of run a general practice over whatever. But I, I think there's some merit to it if it's done correctly. 
I'd like to see that. I'd like to see the dynamics of who would be running what and, and what the interaction between the players would be and yeah. how serious they would take it. And that would be a really interesting thing to see. So who knows? We'll, we'll see if that ever comes to pass. So I just thought that was interesting, Terry. And uh, maybe someday we'll see that. You never know. So, all right. Hey, let's take a break. Oh, go ahead, Terry. David, I'll say this. The modern NFL, if they did it, they never let us watch it. You're probably right. It would be on one of those closed practices. Yeah, it would be. And maybe they've done it already and we just don't know. You never know. Yeah. So, All right, Terry, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the Guardians, who heading into this afternoon's game in San Diego, Terry, have a three-game lead Jeez. in the division over the Twins. And we'll get into pitchers who did and did not take contract extensions from Cleveland, how that worked out. We're going to talk about the – most indispensable underrated player on the guardians. And we'll talk about the rookie of the year chase, as well as your faith column and a Hey Terry question or two, if we have time at the end. So we'll be right back on Terry's talking. We're back on Terry's talking Terry Pluto and David Campbell, Terry, the guardians heading into today's game in San Diego, 65 and 56. They're three games up on the twins. They're four games up on the white Sox. Uh, we talk about this every week, just how impressive it is that they're doing this. And it's because they're playing the Padres, Mike Clevenger is a key figure. And one of the interesting things about the Guardians and how they run their team is which pitchers and which players they decide to extend and which they don't. Which players lock in for long term and maybe a little bit less money, which ones don't and kind of bet on themselves. It's a really interesting discussion to have in terms of guys who've been at that stage and what's happened. Well, Guardian fans should be glad that in the spring of 2019, uh, Clevenger turned down an extension worth between 35 and $40 million. Um, I have that on good authority. And that actually set up what then led to the trade in the middle of the 2020 season, which brought Josh Naylor, Cal Quantrill, Austin Hedges, Owen Miller, and a pitcher in the minors they like very much named Joey Joey Cantillo who has 87 strikeouts in 60 innings now he has some arm problems last year so they're being careful how many innings they pitch him but you know they they got a ton in that deal and had think about this had uh, Clevenger sign that extension I doubt they would have traded him and then he would have had his second Tommy John surgery here so when I think about this, my theory is I've had for a long time is if you're a young pitcher, especially if you have some arm issues in your past, you get a chance to sign an extension. You sign it the first time you get the money. And I'm going to mention some names and each one of these guys sign an extension with the uh, old Indians. And then here's what happened. Uh, all the way back to Fausto Carmona signed one. He then, after that, he was 19 and 10. His second year, he signed his five-year extension. Then after that, he had some arm problems. And then it turned out he wasn't even named Fausto Carmona. It was Roberto Hernandez, and his career just spiraled. But he was glad he got that $22 million because um, that was back in the day when it wasn't that big. Jake Westbrook had won 15 games. This is back in the... Uh, like around 2006 or seven there. He signed a three-year, $33 million extension. He started his first year on the extension. He pitched six games, hurt his elbow, Tommy John surgery. And um, that was basically the end of him here. He later was traded uh, to, uh, uh, to, in fact, I think he went to the Padres or Cardinals. I forgot which was the three-way deal. I think it was the Cardinals so, if I remember, but yeah, I could Cardinals, be wrong. Yes. So anyway, but you see that, you know, there. All right. Corey Kluber, he signed an extension, five years, $38 million going, I think, into 2015. For the first couple of years, it looked like a bargain. But then if you remember, after the 18 season, he got hurt in 19 and 20. And then they picked up his option, traded him to Texas. Um, and so the last couple of years, he was making $17 million when he hardly pitched. Uh, and then one more, Carlos Carrasco. Now, he had Tommy John in his background. Now, Carlos Carrasco always wanted contract extensions. Like he would sign one for a year or two, and his agent would call, and they'd ask for another one. They really, He really was knowing kind of like what's going on. 
And of course, Carrasco, um, after signing his second contract extension, uh, was diagnosed with uh, melanoma, with leukemia, excuse me, uh, leukemia, not melanoma. And uh, so you could go through each of those. I think none of those guys would say they regretted uh, signing an extension because as a pitcher, you're liable to get hurt. You know, my theory is always in your middle 20s, take that one for four or five years. Then if you're still good at 30, 31, then you can play the free agent game. And Clevenger, who then, of course, right after the Cleveland traded him in 2020, he made a couple starts for San Diego, bang, the elbow went again. Second Tommy John, now he's had back problems, he's had knee problems, pitched the other night, two runs in six innings, looked good. But he's, he's an injury waiting to happen. In fact, if I'd have known at the time they offered him that much money, I'd have wrote that was a mistake by Cleveland. Because this guy, to me, always looked like an injury waiting to happen with that violent uh, delivery he had and his background of already having one Tommy John. So if you're an agent and you have any of these young pitchers in the Guardian system, you're going to advise them to take take the money maybe a little bit less for the security and sure. history. You, you just went through all the history. It is the right move, and you'd think, you'd think most of these guys would know that. Yeah, and I think Bieber should do it. I'm mm-hmm. not just saying that here. He, he, remember, he missed three months last year with a sore uh, right shoulder. Um, I think he should he should see what he could get. Now, Drew Rosenhaus, the football guy, and um, his partner, a guy that they hired from the Scott Boros agency, are branching out in the baseball, and I'm sure they want to hit you know a grand slam Cy Young home run contract with Bieber. But you know that that would be that would be a guy that if I were him, I would I would take the money. Uh, and and just to protect yourself. And if they go to Tristan McKenzie, who's had some arm problems in the past in the minors, same thing. And you look at McKenzie's build, you know, he's six foot four and what, 165 pounds. Uh, Dr. Sticks, a guy named Dr. Sticks probably could break. So you may want to get the money. And this is not to put any of these guys down. These, I mean, it's almost like when you talk to different scouts, and they'll talk about some younger pitchers, and they'll say he's already had his obligatory Tommy John surgery because it's so common. But the problem is when you have it, that's 18 months you're blowing out. Well, and a lot of these guys you're talking about, Terry, they're young enough where even if they do have an injury and Tommy John yeah. surgery, and boy, look, I mean, you look at Justin Verlander. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you, you need to think about things long term. If you sign that contract, that extension, you're still young enough when it's over where you can get another big contract or another one. And I mean, sure. look at look at Carrasco, even with everything he's been through, he's having yeah. a great season and mm-hmm. he'll be up for some more money. So, yeah, I think yeah, he, you're, I think you're dead. Got right hurt again. He has an abdominal thing now. But, you know, he set himself up to get something. I'm sure his agents calling the Mets like they used to call the, in, the Indians. And that was almost a joke in there. That's like, well, Carlos wants another extension. Uh, but he, you know, he does a lot of charity work there. Another guy who really blew it. This was. Um, I want to say in 2014, Justin Masterson had a very good year with Cleveland. And it was like, no, it was before. Yeah, it was right around there, right after I think Tito came in. His agent got on this thing of he wanted a five-year, $100 million contract to match because the, the Reds completely lost their mind and gave that kind of money to Homer Bailey. So he wanted a contract worth, worth at least $17 million a year because it would match what Bailey got. So the Indians were talking to Masterson at that time, and they offered him three years at $45 million, $15 million a year for three years. They were worried in spring training because suddenly a guy who threw 93, 94 with a sinker was throwing 89, 90, but he was getting people out, and they figured he'd get into it. Well, he, his agent turns it down. And that year, Masterson just pitched very poorly, later got traded. That's the end of Masterson. He would, should have taken the money. And another, you know, just saying, these guys, almost every pitcher runs into some sort of injury or some sort of decline, seemingly in their middle to late 20s, at least for a year or two. And you just... It's so fragile. You know, you really are hanging. They always say hanging by a thread. Well, you're hanging by the ulnar nerve in your elbow. You're hanging by some frayed ligaments. You're hanging by that. All right. So take the money. It'd be a good T-shirt, Terry. Just take the money. Just put that right take on the, the front. 
<laughs> All right. Hey, um, you wrote the other day about, I thought this was an interesting idea and I wanted to kind of get into it here. Former Reds GM Jim Bowden wrote um, a, po- a piece about each team's most indispensable underrated player, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting idea. And he went with Stephen Kwan, who is your right wife for birth. Stephen Kwan, certainly in the running for rookie of the year. Uh, and actually, you can tell he's becoming a thing because I think on September 3rd, they're going to have a Stephen Kwan t-shirt jersey. They made one sure. which wasn't on the schedule before. So you can tell he's making an impact. Uh, Terry, who is your player who is the most indispensable underrated player on the Guardians right now? I mean, maybe Bowden would say, well, my guy doesn't count because he made the all-star team. But how much is really talked about with Emmanuel Classe? Oh, and Classe got the save. Nobody could hit the guy. That's about it. But I just think it's been imperative to have him shutting down these teams in the late innings so that when the Guardians come back and score these runs, the bullpen's not gagging it up. And that, you know why the Twins are falling apart? It's the bullpen primarily. Their bullpen cannot hang on to leads. And that just rips the heart out of a team. Whereas the, the flip side, in fact, what's really sparked the Guardians of late is this combination of Class A and how well Karen Check has played. And Nick Sandlin hasn't given up a run in his last 14 innings. So those guys coming out of there, just shutting down the other team. But the guy that, you know, the analytics, they always say, well, the ninth inning's no different than any other inning. And I don't even want to hear that. Because I've seen a lot of guys, Paul Shuey, was a very good reliever as long as he didn't pitch the ninth. The ninth inning, if you hit the ball back to him, he's liable to throw it into the stands. I mean, he just could. There's something different about that. I remember Bob Wickman, who drove us all nuts, scaring to save Wickman, said that you have to have a certain, he called it constitution, and use some other words I won't use, to be able to walk into the clubhouse after you've blown a save. Because he says, no matter what the other guys say, oh, we could have scored more than once. No, the score was three to two. They put the game in your hands, and you got to get those three outs. He said, that's a burden in terms of your job that a lot of guys can't carry. And he was right. And others can't. And Class A, he can't. I mean, yeah, he's got great stuff, but there are a lot of bunch of guys. There's a bunch of guys in baseball throwing 100 miles an hour in the seventh and eighth inning, and they've tried them in the ninth. The next thing you know, they're hitting people, and they're behind in the count. Uh, you know, the class A comes in there in these games where there's a guy in second base to start the 10th, and he's shutting them out anyway. So I'm I'm big on that. And I guess I would ask, it would be, uh, granted, it'd be hard to replace Quan, but I think it's impossible to replace on this team a class A. I, do you, would, would you trust Karen check with those games? No, no, I agree completely. And uh, I, I want to make sure, we've talked about this a little bit over the last several weeks, but people should be appreciating what this guy is doing. I mean, it's amazing. Um, Our our friend, Zach Meisel, uh, I saw him tweet some stats, I think earlier today in 18 appearances, class a has allowed five base runners in his last last 18 appearances, five base runners. The opponent's OPS is two fourteen, and he's averaging fewer than 11 pitches every time he goes out on the mound. Mm -hmm. And just look at last night, Terry, in, in San Diego. I mean, this is just amazing stuff, right? Austin Nola is the first battery faces, strikes him out looking. It was 101 mile an hour fastball, 100 mile an hour fastball, 99 mile an hour fastball, 93 mile an hour slider, 93 mile an hour slider, 100 mile an hour cut fastball, struck out looking, right? Next guy, Jerickson Profarf grounds out on one pitch, 102 mile an hour cut fastball that was grounded out. And then Jake Cronenworth comes in and he strikes him out on three pitches, 101, 101, and a 94 mile an hour slider. I mean, that pretty much fits what Zach tweeted, but I mean, it's six, seven, it, that's 10, 10 or 11 pitches, 10 pitches out of the game. Strikes. See, that's it's the cr- other thing. He doesn't throw a lot of pitches. So, he has control. He has poise. Um, and he, he isn't really determined to strike out everybody. He just wants to get them out. I remember when uh, he was a young pitcher, he still was fairly young, but the, this first spring training uh, with Cleveland, uh, 
Francona was asked, this is out in Goodyear, well, how's Class A thrown? He goes, he's thrown 100-mile-an-hour bowling balls. And what he meant is, he, then he talked about as a hitter, some guys, when you hit their ball, it just feels so heavy. It's like you can't really get it to go anywhere. And he goes, that's what Class A has. And that's why you see, you know, the ground balls and, and that he's thrown 100-mile-an-hour bowling balls or, the, or that bowling ball sometimes is 93 miles an hour and it's got a really good hook to it. Yeah, I think in hockey they call that a heavy shot, that a guy's got a heavy mm-hmm. shot. It's kind of the same principle from physics. But, uh, yeah, you know, if, if Class A was pitching for the Yankees or the Mets oh. or something, he'd be on Sports Center was, every night and there'd be – Mariano Rivera. Yeah. He would. No, yeah, I'm not saying exactly. But they would be saying this is the next Mariano Rivera. And you're right, Terry. There's no substitute for knowing that if you get a lead in the eighth inning, the game's over. I mean, that you just does so much for guys the, Watch him in the dugout when he comes in the ninth inning. It's like that – the confidence is so soaring. I remember talking to Omar Vizquel. This is one one of the years in that Cleveland had just a terrible bullpen. And he said, you know, we would bring in, and I forgot what guy it was. It was one of these guys who we were just talking. He says, you know, you're, you're trying not to just stand there with your hands on your hips, shaking your head, going like, this will never work. He said, but the players know. You know, that, that guy, he's not going to. Of course, Mason was one of the guys that uh, – uh, Omar thought didn't have the constitution, as Bob Wickman would call it, to uh, you know handle the pressure. You know, Mesa had one great year, and then after that, and then Mesa, by the way, would come back periodically and have a good year as a closer. But he was much better in the seventh or eighth inning. Uh, so he said, players know, and in the same way, the players know when this guy's coming in, it's over. And, and you know, and if, if once the lightning hits once a month and he blows the save, so what? It was just a weird lightning strike. The next time out, he's going to get him. The opposite of Bob Wickman. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Terry, we talked about Stephen Kwan a little bit, and I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about the uh, American League Rookie of the Year race. Stephen Kwan is in it. I, I was curious kind of what the Vegas odds were. So I went on um, FanDuel, found them. Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners is the favorite right now. He's um, minus 350, which basically means if you bet $350 and he wins, you get 100. So not not great odds. But um, Adley Rushman from the Orioles is second at 28 to 1. Um, Jeremy Pena, well, plus 280. I shouldn't say 28 to 1. He's plus 280. Jeremy Pena from the Astros, plus 4,200. Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals, plus 4,200. Then Stephen Kwan of the Guardians is next at plus 6,500. So that's basically 65 to 1. You bet $100, you get 6,500 back. So he's one, two, three, four. He's fifth in the Rookie of the Year race right now. Um, Julio Rodriguez, 106 games coming into today, 19 homers, 63 RBIs. He struck out 122 times, which is a lot for 106 games, as you would suspect. 271 batting average. His OPS is 798. And uh, just for comparison, Stephen Kwan, 108 games, three homers, 32 RBIs, 42 strikeouts, 44 walks, 12 steals, batting average of 299, and a 765 OPS. So Rodriguez is 798. I'm sorry. Sorry, Terry. Go ahead. Those two OPSs are very revealing because they're, they're, they're fairly close. You wouldn't think they would be. What was what was what, what Rodriguez? What, so Rodriguez is um, he's 470 slugging percentage and 328 on base percentage, which comes out to 798. And Stephen mm-hmm. Kwan is a 372 on base percentage and a 393 slugging percentage, which comes out to 765. So it's 798 for Rodriguez and 765 for Kwan. And, you know, the thing about Kwan puts the ball in play. I mean, that's one yep. of the reasons that he's having such success is he's putting pressure on the defense but uh it's a tough uphill climb i think for stephen Kwan. but the fact that he's even in this thing in the discussion is is pretty impressive considering and, and you've talked about this where he came from mm-hmm. and kind of and and what people were expecting at the start of the year well a couple of things rodriguez number one is um your modern player power strikeouts batting average actually a little higher than than you would expect but this is what they're about Quan is a player from my generation. Stolen bases, contact, on base, doubles, and a strong case can be made he's a gold glove left fielder. I remember at one point Francona said about a couple of weeks ago, 
He's just a baseball player. And, you know, he's five foot nine, runs hard on everything, leadoff guy, pesky, as they would call it, you know, very pesky, not Johnny Pesky, but very pesky. And <laughs> um, so that would be, but that guy is not valued by probably a lot of the voters who just are going to go with the big numbers. But, you know, he's, all right, if I couldn't, Pick class A is the most underrated indispensable. I probably because you can't you can't take Jose and you can't take I think right now Jimenez is getting a lot of note too. Uh, I probably would have went with Quan because the defense is, is he's just outstanding in left field. It is interesting too, Terry. This does mirror a little bit the discussion that's been was happening early this season about Aaron Judge versus Jose um, Ramirez mm-hmm. for MVP. Whereas Jose is kind of the all-around player, and Judge has the eye-popping stats. It's a little bit like that in terms of. I will these say two this, Judge. I have not looked at the analytics, but Judge is better in center field than I thought. You know, from the eye test. Uh, but that's, of course, Judge has all kinds of friends around him in the lineup. You know, Jose comes up. I mean, it's a big upgrade when you have Josh Naylor hitting behind you over Owen Miller or Fran Mel Reyes. By the way, what now? Fran Mel Reyes waited to go to the Cubs to wake up and get some hits. What's with that? Yeah, hitting streak, and he's off to a good start. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, so it's maybe he suddenly discovered if I don't hit here, uh, the contract I'm going to get at the end of the season is really going to stink. All right, well, we'll see if it lasts. Yeah, and and to see Stevens Kwan on this list is really just a, a tribute to what he's done this season. And uh, yeah, he so was I thought a we'd talk about that. Uh, David, I remember I'm talking to him, and I said, "Now remember, he was the all he was a leadoff hitter for Oregon State when they won the national title." And I, the draft was before I actually watched an Oregon State game after the draft where, where Cleveland took him because they noticed they had this guy from Oregon State, Kwan. And I kind of liked him. Then Roberta spotted him in the spring training game of 2021 when he wasn't anybody. And she hooked her wagon to him like she did Sinsu Chu many years ago. So uh, she likes the smaller players and, and, and that. Now, she loved Jose, but she says right now everybody has Jose. So you got to find somebody else. But the point being on Quan, I'm talking to him in spring training and say, where did you think you were going to go? He goes, I was shocked when I went in the fifth round. I, I was told 10th round. So give Cleveland credit for drafting this guy higher because usually you always hear the opposite. Oh, I couldn't believe I went that low. He couldn't believe he went that high. And, Terry, we were talking about this a little bit. The last three Cleveland players to win AL Rookie of the Year. That's okay. a good trivia so, question for people listening, so go ahead. Was it Sandy Alomar? 1990. Yep. Yeah. Kenny Lofton got robbed. Who was it? Pat Listash we looked up. Pat Listash from the Brewers, yeah. yep. He should have gotten it. Joe Charbonneau, Super Joe. 1980. I am the guy, for better or worse, named him Super Joe. But we had, what, Chris Chambliss? 1971. Herb Score, 1955. And that is it. That's all of them, isn't it? There's only, there's only been four. I was doing the last three, but there's only been four total, so he would be the fourth. So there you go. A little bit of trivia for you. Um, all right, Terry, you want to move on to your faith column for this week? Sure. I don't know how you do this. You come up with something that really resonates with me every time I read this. And this week, uh, and you can catch the Faith and You column by Terry on Saturdays on Cleveland.com and then in Sunday's Plain Dealer. But this week's is about how bad memories are so vivid in our minds and how good memories, I, I think the phrase you use, we need to assemble them. It takes mm-hmm. a lot more work to to think good thoughts about happy memories we've had and how bad memories kind of run wild in our heads. Uh, th- this really kind of struck me. You say often bad events are branded in our brains, never to be forgotten. Good things, they are like brittle fall leaves whisked away in the wind, which I thought was just a great metaphor. But talk about the, the bad memories and good memories that, that kind of pop into your head and how you kind of um, how you kind of think about those. Well, the hardest thing I write every week is the faith column. It's not even close. Um, in fact, I did, was at the Bay Village Library Tuesday night. It was great. We had a full room and there, and that discussion came out where do you come, come up with ideas and that. And I mentioned uh, 
that I was walking through the Plain Dealer press room where they actually still print the papers and everything else uh, a few days ago. And I thought two thoughts came to my head. Number one was, boy, it was 15 years ago at the end of August when I came to the Plain Dealer from the Akron Beacon Journal. Um, and what a blessing that was for me. Then I'm looking at the papers and I'm thinking, and I wanted to kind of stay there because it was a nice warm spot. Um, and I'm thinking, my father, I remember he used to deliver the Plain Dealer in the 1930s, first door to door. Then later he drove the trucks that would pick up the papers at the Plain Dealer and then drop stacks of papers on different corners for the paper boys to pick up. And, you know, here his son is writing for the paper that he delivered. You know, my father later on went to work at Old Fisher Foods and later became Fisher Fazio Costa, the, the food dealership, and he worked in the warehouse there where I actually I did too for several years through school and you know here I've been writing now for 9,000 years in this market two tours of duty at the Plain Dealer and so I kind of dwelled on that then I kind of thought about how you know we're just seem to be haunted by bad memories most of the time or we say oh that was really nice that was good and I thought about how fall leaves they're very pretty on the tree and then they kind of brittle there and then boom they're just gone whereas we could just sit and dwell at the snow and the storms of our life for the longest time. And I just think we are in a, you know, one of my themes of faith columns is we're in a spiritual battle and the memories and thoughts that come, you know, people don't want to talk about evil or whatever, but I just am convinced where do some of these thoughts come from? Why are we so tormented sometimes? Cause we are in a spiritual battle. And one of the things we need to do is fight off some of the bad memories that will haunt us. And I looked up, uh, there's an article on psychology today and some in another place about how not only, uh, you know, there's trauma and that we, it, it impacts us, David, but it says we tend to rehearse it. In other words, we go over it a lot more than say the memory that I just talked about walking through the press room. And so that, that led to the column. And then, by the way, I was halfway through it. I was thinking, is this any good or not? I stopped. I thought, well, it's all I got. <laughs> I've been there, believe me. But I got to thinking, what if everybody just took like two minutes every day and just sat in a quiet place and thought about something happy mm -hmm. that happened in their lives? And you, you mentioned it, how it brings up, it brought us, there's things you thought about that brought a smile to your face. And with everything going on, I just wanted at the end of the day, if everybody should just sit for two minutes and just think about something really cool that happened in their lives and yeah, turn what the they would do for us. Off. Seriously, turn the stupid yeah. news off and think about that and think about why you're here. Uh, somebody along the line helped you, you know, even if you've come through cancer twice or whatever it is. Uh, and I'm not saying turn that frown upside down. We all have our trials, but man oh man if we are just grim all the time and we listen to those first angry thoughts or those first depressing thoughts that come in it will wreck our day and we have to understand that we are in a battle and that is real and um i don't want to live there and believe me i can go there too and i've got reams of i've got an encyclopedia of things i should be thankful for you know tons of things under each letter of the alphabet but I could find the one that's like, well, I got, I got missed over there. Some uh, interesting things to think about there. Thanks for that, Terry. And you, again, you can catch that this weekend. So uh, faith in you. All right. We have a, this is an interesting, hey, Terry question. Okay. And I didn't prep you for this one, Terry. I didn't tell you it was coming. So you're going to have to just answer on the fly. This is from Ray in Colorado. He says, hey, Terry, have you noticed that the Browns have moved on from their boisterous self-promotion, self-promoting players Jarvis Landry, Baker, Higgins, and OBJ, and kept and or acquired quiet, more focused players like Chubb, Ward, Cooper, and Watson. You could probably throw Miles Garrett into that list mm -hmm. too, as an aside. I feel the GM and coach are molding the team to match their own personalities. What do you think, Terry? Well, the interesting thing about that is that several of the players you mentioned were drafted by John Dorsey or before that. You know, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward was a Dorsey pick. Uh, just as Dorsey's all the same guy that brought in OBJ and brought in Darvis. Yeah, and Chubb was a Dorsey pick. Uh, so, but I do think that those are the players he's right about uh, that Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski uh, prefer. 
I mean, even even uh, Deshaun Watson is not known for having a boisterous personality or anything. So we'll we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> you know, the tough thing for the Browns is I like that you know smart, tough, accountable idea. But when you have the, the Watson thing come in, that's I got so many emails from people say, well, whatever happened there? Because, you know, part of accountability is actions off the field. So we will see. But I, I, I don't think they want any more noise off the field than they have right now. You know, Kareem Hunt, for example, had like the NFL's worst holdout. He actually was in camp the whole time. And for two days, he didn't take part in team drills until, I don't know, he felt more loved or something. So good for him. That's what I looked at that. So, Terry, do you think that if all things are being equal, I mean, these guys want to win. That's job number yeah. one. But if there's a player who – player two free agents, let's say, of equal talent, one is kind of uh, a little bit more self-promoting, as Ray termed it, and one is a little bit more reserved. Do you think there's a difference there, or do they care? Well, I think uh, to an extent, you know, you, you have to measure the locker room. This is one of the things that – for example, the Guardians do. Now, Fran Mill Reyes was, was really off the rails here in terms of how he was acting and, and that. And they knew if they let him go, it's possible he can get hit, get hot and start hitting somewhere else. But they just weren't going to go in that direction. Where, especially during the Dorsey and before that era, you know, Manziel, and, I mean, Justin Gilbert had all kinds of red flags around him and some others. They just, Antonio Callaway, remember that? I mean, they just brought these guys in. Now, Andrew Barry has taken a couple shots with, with players, uh, but Malik McDowell, for example, you know, that was one, he had a good year and then he got in trouble with the law afterwards. So, but they tend to, you know, get rid of them. I think they would prefer it that, but in the end, look, they want to win. And that's what, what thought, that's what Watson was about. You know, we'll, we'll ride this out. We'll take the suspension. We'll take the negative publicity because in the end, they think he'll straighten out. We'll win a lot of games, and most of the people will be okay with that. That's their thought. All right. Hey, we want everybody to be part of this podcast, so be sure to drop us a line, and we'll see if we can get your question or comment on the podcast. You can send it to sports at cleveland.com and just put uh, Terry's talking in the subject line, or go to Terry's Facebook page, and you can catch him there, and we'll try to work uh, your stuff into the podcast next week. So check that out. So I think that's all I got, Terry. You got anything else? No, that'll do it. All right. Um, we'll be back next week. Have a great week. Make sure your what your constitution is solid. What do we? That's what do we right. Say? If you have the constitution to be able to handle the pressure, have a constitution to have a great week, and we'll catch you next week. Uh, Terry's talking.